You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. When I pray, just lay in bed or wherever I'm praying, and I think, where would I be had I not gotten saved? I truly believe I'd be in hell this morning. The path of life that I was on was not a good one. But we thank God for His grace. I love our country. Of course, I got saved in America. Could have got saved in any other country, but God chose and allowed me the great privilege to live in this one. It's still a great country. We've been in... Um, I pastored for 19 years, and I always thought it was funny when missionaries come to my church, I'd say, where have you been? And they didn't know where they were the last Sunday, and now I'm that guy. So uh, some of you asked, you know, where are you going? And I thought, how could they not know where they're going after my church? And I, I, I'm now that person. But uh, we've been in 11 states. My son and I have been driving, and uh, uh, I think within about the last three weeks, we've been in 11 or 12 states. And uh, but I've been encouraged to drive across America and still see scripture on billboards all across our nation. Um, I have a picture of my phone, but uh, one gentleman parked a big crane by the side of uh, Interstate 40, and he hoisted up a cross on that crane for all the people that go by there every day to see. There's still hope for America. And if I didn't believe that, I would not be doing what I'm doing. But I truly believe if the Lord should tarry that uh, if, if we would do our part, God's people, that we can see a revival again in this nation. And I don't know about, uh, you know, I, I cannot be responsible for all of America, but I can be responsible for me. And I certainly want to have revival in my heart. And I know today if everyone in this church believed that, this church could have revival. This already great church and doing great things. But uh, wouldn't it be great? We say, well, you don't know who's in the White House. Have you forgot who's on the throne? Amen. God is still in control. I remember uh, the election before this. You'll remember the two people that were going against each other. Uh, but uh, I, I remember that night I was uh, still pastoring in Stockton. Don't hold that against me, by the way. Pastor Kerry uh, said that, you know, one of the benefits of being a missionary in America, you don't have to relearn the language to start the work. But we're actually going to Arkansas, so I do have to learn another <laughs> language. But uh, we, we visited up there just for a couple of days, and it's a new world up there. But we'll be living out of that area and basing our ministry out of there. But uh, just uh, old school America, but uh, God bless them. All the catfish you can eat in any restaurant you go to. So uh, if you ever want to visit there, I hope you like catfish. But uh, uh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, what was I talking about? Not catfish. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the greatness of America. And uh, just uh, praise the Lord for this great country. But I think one thing we really need to get back to, and it's not my message today, is I want to read you a few statistics. And uh, real quickly on the table, uh, if you would like to get these items, uh, and, and we just invest these back in the ministry, but a couple books. We used to give this one out to those that visited our church. And uh, it's a great book, maybe if you know somebody that's out of church to try to get them back in. It's um, called I Was Glad, and just on the importance of having a good church in your life. And it's written from the perspective of an independent Baptist church. Uh, and there's a little bit of doctrine in there, but a lot of just encouragement. Why do we need the church, a church family? I never thought we'd live in a day and age in my lifetime when the church was taken from us. And we saw that happen this past year. 
and I hope you've realized how important it is. Thank God for Facebook and all that, that we could have the online presence, but we need to assemble, amen? There's nothing like assembling. And so thank God we're getting back to that. Uh, we, we've been in Tampa, Florida. You know, we, I, I feel so bad. We abandoned California when COVID hit, and we went to the land of the free, Florida, amen? And, uh, uh, but uh, so we've been wide open back there for 10 months, but praise the Lord, California is opening up again. And, uh, you know, again, we see how important it is for God's people to come together. Uh, you know, uh, I, I warn people, don't get your th uh, theology off of Facebook. I hear a lot today, well, you know, I am the church, so I don't have to go to church. That's not scriptural. We need to go to church. And the, well, the church isn't a building. I understand that, but we're supposed to assemble. We can assemble out in the parking lot or at the park, but we need to assemble. That's a church and how important that is. And so uh, just get back into this thing full swing, soul winning, uh, really besides prayer and living holy lives, uh, I, I really believe if we're going to reach America for Christ, we have to change the hearts of people, and only God can do that. And we do that through winning people to Christ. And so God's people, uh, you know, uh, I, I think maybe some of us were grateful this past year that we couldn't go out. We had an excuse that was legitimate. But uh, now that's been taken away, so let's get back out and go soul winning. And uh, I, I really believe as we've traveled, I see two extremes in America. There's a very, we have a very wicked culture right now, it's very obvious, very evil culture. But I think on the other end of that, because of that, there's a great hunger on the other side of that for something. People don't know what it is, but it's God. And there's a great emptiness that people have because they have not, although they're lost people, they still have not bought into this wicked, evil culture. They know they don't want that. But where do you go? And so they, they have no answers, but yet we have the answers, Jesus Christ. But we just have to go to them and share that with them. Aren't you glad somebody did that for you? Um, I was a, actually got saved about 45 minutes, I guess, south of here in Sacramento uh, years ago. I was a drunker. I drank every day of my life for eight years, addicted to alcohol. I was a functioning alcoholic, as they uh, said, and uh, I would still go to work every day, and uh, I, I, I could function and do the basic things I needed to do, but uh, uh, just drowning in debt and addicted to alcohol and drugs, and one night I just prayed. I said, God, you know, if, if you're real, show me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. I had no idea what that meant. And the very next morning on my way to work, I turned on the radio, listened to some rock and roll before I went to work and uh, hit the scan button. It stopped on a Christian station. There's a pastor preaching. I didn't want to hear some preacher preach to me. And I tried to get it off that station. I remember what I prayed, though, the night before. So I took my hand away and I said, God, if maybe this is the way you'll answer my prayer, I'll, I'll hear what this guy has to say. Um, it's hard to find anymore. But back then he preached a pure gospel message. And the first thing he said, we're all sinners. And man, I remember driving into work, I had a brand new 1992 Ford Thunderbird. Amen. I was, I thought uh, I, 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 had, I had arrived. But uh, I remember thinking, you know, I didn't love God, but I respected, you know, he's God. He, he has the right to call the shots. And boy, I knew I was a sinner. I remember saying, God, I just sinned a few hours ago. Boy, I had that one down. That guy said I deserved hell. I didn't know it at the time, but I was convicted for the first time in my life by the Holy Spirit. And I knew driving to work that morning, I was on my way to hell. I didn't love God, but God said the wages of sin is death. And I knew because of my sin, I was on my way to hell. But then he talked about Jesus Christ, how Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. I had heard that bits and pieces growing up. 
but never really knew how that applied to me. And for the first time, I realized that Jesus died for me. Amen. Amen. I knew enough to get saved that morning. And I went to work and I came home that night to begin drinking like I did every night. And I put the beer back in the refrigerator. And I went to that room where I prayed that prayer the night before. This was the early 90s, a shag carpet on the floor. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but about an inch, shag carpet, inch long. And God broke my heart. I fell to my knees and just began to weep uncontrollably. And I remember telling Jesus that night, I said, Jesus, I don't know how to pray, but I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. If you'll take me tonight as I am, I ask you to be my Savior. And uh, said some other things. And I know that night I got saved. You don't have to feel what I felt, but I got up off my knees and I felt literally that a, a physical weight had been lifted uh, off me. And I remember standing in that room thinking, well, what do I do now? I'm all by myself and I'm crying and I'm thinking, okay, now what? And I thought, well, I'm a Christian. Maybe I should read the Bible. That'd be good for some of you to do as well, by the way. But uh, uh, I had a little Bible that was given to me in 1974. I still have it in the United Methodist Church in Jamestown, California, where I grew up. Back then, it was the only church in town. And it was given to me on a Christmas Eve service. My Sunday school teacher still remember her name. How could you forget? Her name was Mrs. Hickey. And, and uh, they lived right across the street from the church. And she gave all the uh, children in the Sunday school class that night, that Christmas Eve service, a Bible. Never read it all those years, but I carried it with me. And I took that Bible down again, early 90s. I climbed up into my king-size waterbed. It was about as high as this uh, pulpit. And it was about midnight, but until about 4 o'clock in the morning, I read the Word of God and fell in love with God that night. God changed my life. I'm so glad to be saved. And I often think how wicked I was. And, uh, you know, from time to time, Christians would come and knock on our door where we lived. And I lived in, at one time in Del Paso Heights, an area, rough part of Sacramento. And I, I'd be so uh, evil to those folks that would come by and that were concerned for my soul. But thank God, God's grace still saved me. And what America needs to get back to is good old-fashioned soul winning. As we pray and as we live holy, godly lives, we, we need to get the gospel to this nation once again. Uh, and, and I pray that you do that. Um, this came out in the news just recently. 47% of Americans claim, and this is across all religious uh, sects. It's not just Baptists. So m most of these people, many of these people would be lost but 47% of Americans now claim to have a religious membership. In 2018, that number was 50%. We belong to some type of a church. In 1937, that number was 73% of Americans belong to a church. I, I studied this out a little bit. It's, this is hard for me to believe because from 1937 to 1999, this is amazing to me, that's 62 years that number, 73%, only went down to 70%. That's amazing to me. But in the last, what is it, uh, 22 years, we've gone down 23%. We're going the wrong way. This came out just about a month ago in the mainstream news, uh, I believe it was actually May of 2021, said this 43% of millennials do not know or even care that God exists. And I got real discouraged when I read that statistic and I saw it on the news for several days, but 
I did the math, and I'm not never was really good at math, but I could subtract 43 from 100, and that left 57%. And I thought, you know what, if 43% don't care that God exists, there still might be 57% of millennials that do. Let's reach them. Amen. Let's go after them. Let's try to get the gospel to them. Praise the Lord. There's still great hope for America. The local New Testament church is, is, is so important. A part of that, I, I, I know I told you where to turn in. I'll get there in just a moment. Can I encourage you just real quickly? Stay faithful to church. Stay faithful to church. And I don't know what's going to happen in California. They're already talking about this other variant. I don't know if I really believe it all, but uh, who knows what will happen out here again. I don't know if they'll ever try to close it down again, but you do what you need to do. But, but I am saying this. Be, follow the pastor, what he does with the church, but keep the church the main part of your life. We need what God says we need. Uh, stay faithful in serving. Stay faithful in soul winning. Stay faithful in giving. Thank God for online giving. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. If you were a pastor, you'd amen on that. Uh, stay faithful in praying. Oh, we need to pray for America. And I mean really pray for America. Weep over America again. Now I remember what I was talking about. came to me. 10 minutes ago, the election. Thanks for helping me out with that. <laughs> Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. I went to the jail that night. I didn't want to go to the jail ministry. I went to the jail. I said, God, I just want to stay home and watch the election results. He said, you know what? If you really want to help America, go get some men saved at the jail. So I said, I'll go. And I remember coming back from the jail that night and we had a great service. We saw a lot of men get saved and I stopped at my church and I laid uh, right about here where our pulpit is and I began to weep for our country. And I said, God, if you just be so gracious, uh, I, I didn't never thought Donald Trump would be the savior of America and I still don't think that. Uh, but uh, it, it was the, the thought of at least having someone in office that was patriotic uh, caused me to pray. I don't know about you. And I remember just weeping. I said, God, if you'd be so gracious to allow him instead of the other option to, to be there. And if you disagree with me, we'll fight it out at my table. You meet me back there in just a little bit. But uh, uh, so if you don't like the way that election goes, it's all my fault because I prayed. Uh, and, uh, but uh, I remember just being so burdened for America. Oh, God, don't let America go away from its roots and patriotism and the way the other parties seemingly wanted to take it. God was gracious to us. I believe very gracious to us for those four years. But it didn't bring revival, did it? I'm a conservative. I'm more conservative than any conservative that you'll ever hear on any talk show because I'm not only politically conservative, I'm religiously or scripturally conservative. You know, most of those guys, if somebody calls in their show and starts quoting scripture, they get them off real quick. You know? I grew up in Sacramento when Rush Limbaugh was starting out. That's how old I am. He was a local talk show host a couple years before I got saved. But uh, conservatism isn't going to bring revival to America, and I'm all for it. Many conservatives are immoral people. They're not saved people. And America needs revival, and it's not going to come through any political party. But I remember this last election in... I remember going to bed thinking, okay, it's going our way. Boy, some funny things happened overnight. The numbers got real mixed up overnight. And I woke up in the morning, I thought, what in the world happened? What? Are you kidding me? And we had a new president. But God gave me such a peace that morning. 
Because he reminded me that, look, he said, although Joe, Joe Biden is in the White House, I am still on the throne. Amen. And God is still in control of America. And that's why in America there's still hope. Because our hope is in God today. Our hope is in God. And I hope that you'll join me in prayer. The missionaries would come to our church for many years, and I always get up and say, pray for them, get their uh, uh, cards, and it means so much more to me because now I'm the missionary. But they say, well, how do I pray for you? Pray, first of all, just that we have safety as we travel. Pray that we have meetings. I pastored for 19 years. I'll be real honest. We had a comfortable life. Don't feel sorry for me because we're in the will of God. A pastor I talked to not too long ago, and he said, oh, pastor, I'm so sorry for you. This didn't work out. This didn't work out. I said, wait a minute. I'm in God's will. Don't feel sorry for me. It's all good. Amen. But we basically left, have left everything we've had again, and we're starting all over in this new ministry. But God is good, and we know he's going to take care of us. Um, but it's all new for us. So just pray for our meetings. Pray for our support. Of course, we, we need that. And uh, just pray that God would use us across America. As Pastor said, we want to help start churches all across America. I know just from my casual uh, research of 27 independent Baptist churches uh, in America right now that don't have pastors. I just talked to another missionary yesterday who does similar to what we do. He gave me a list of another 27 churches, different from mine. That's 54 churches, I think, and we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg. 54 independent Baptist churches, good churches in America who have no man of God to lead them. Our nation's hurting spiritually. Some of you young men here today may be, and again, I, I'm all for foreign missions, don't get me wrong, but we need to reach America. Don't forget about America. And maybe some of you young men can surrender to reach America for Christ. I grew up in the foothills and all those little foothill towns, no gospel witness my whole life. I never had one Christian ever knock on my door growing up, and even, I never ha even had a track or even heard the gospel preached clearly my whole life in the state of California. We need to reach America for Christ. Now the message. Would you go to Genesis 33 real quickly? In all respect to pastor's time, we'll get out of here the, the normal time. I promise you that. I kept wanting to get away from this message today. I've never preached it before. I, I don't really know all the reasons why I'm bringing it today other than I believe it's what God would want me to give you. But I'm going to abbreviate the reading just for the sake of time. It, the story kind of begins back in Genesis chapter 32. I'll let you remain seated just for time's sake today, but if you'll follow with me. We know back in verse 24 of chapter 32, it says, Jacob was left alone, there wrestled, uh, and there wrestled a man with him until the break of day. And we know as we read the rest of that story uh, that takes us through the end of that chapter, great story. Most of you, of course, are familiar with that. But we get into chapter 33. And it's the meeting after many years of Jacob and Esau. You remember that Esau uh, despised his birthright and sold his birthright. And he fled. He, he uh, got angry, of course, at his brother and his parents. And he disobeyed them. Took a wife to marry uh, that, that was unpleasing to his mother and father to, to get back at them. By the way, young people, that never works out well. Amen. It just doesn't work out good. So he goes through all that rebellion. It's years later. They're finally going to meet together, these two brothers. Jacob's scared to death. You know how Esau's going to treat him. And we won't go into all that story, but I want you to look in chapter 33 of Genesis with me. And if you go to verse 8, and he said, What meanest, this is Esau speaking, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, 
These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. Verse 9, Esau said, here it is, I have enough, my brother. Keep that that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my presence at my hand. And therefore I have seen thy face as though I have seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. So Jacob has all this uh, livestock, and he, he presents it to, as a gift to his brother. And Esau says, in verse 9, look at it with me, he says, he says I have enough. I have enough. You know what he's saying? He said, I'm good. I, I'm a wealthy man. This is the man that sold his birthright. This is the man that disobeyed his parents and married very badly, very wrongly, ungodly marriages. It's not supposed to work this way. He's prosperous. That's not how it's, this thing's supposed to go. When we disobey God, that's not supposed to turn out good, is it? But we don't see it here yet. And when Jacob tries to offer the, uh, Esau these gifts, he, he says, brother, I have enough. I have enough, my brother, I don't need. He eventually takes it. Jacob and Esau met at an intersection in their lives. Stay with me. You again remember that Esau despised his birthright and all of that. But here he has an abundance so great that he has no problem intersecting with God's people. He knew all the vernacular. Have you ever met anybody like that? Maybe they used to be in church and you, you meet them and they haven't been in church in months, but boy, they got a nice vehicle, their, their job's going well, they've been promoted, and uh, you know they're not living for God, but boy, they know how to talk to talk still. Boy, God's sure good to me. And they, 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 you know, they don't even pray to God anymore. But boy, they still got all the stuff. That was Esau. He knew all the vernacular. Oh, I'm so blessed of God. Listen to me, if you're not living for God, I don't care what you're driving out in the parking lot. If you're not walking with God, you're not truly blessed with, by God. Amen. We can accumulate the world's wealth without the blessings of God. Very easy to do that. And it's very easy for God's people to walk away from this and to walk away from what's holy and right and get away from God and get away from our walk with God. And for a while, still, everything looks good on the outside. I remember when we first bought a house in Stockton, and I, I remember getting up every day and looking at our neighbor across the street, and, and uh, they would have, every once in a while, they, of course, couldn't park their cars in their garage because they had so much stuff inside like many of you, sorry to hit that, but uh, uh, they would have motorcycles and ATVs and, and every weekend they were going to and fro and I remember thinking, and I'll be real honest, I had a little pity party and said, God, I mean, look, they look so happy and they're always running to and fro and look at all the stuff they have and they don't even love you. And here I am trying to serve you. I can park my car in my garage because I don't have anything in the garage, amen? But... Uh, I got up there one morning, looked across the street, there's a foreclosure sign on their yard. And they lost everything. And I don't rejoice in that, but I'm just saying this, you, you never know what's going on. But there's so many of God's people right now that are at an intersection. And, and maybe you sit here today and you know you're going in a different direction other than what God wants you to go in. But nobody else knows that because everything still looks good. Are you following me? You have enough. I have enough. Oh, I'm blessed. God's been so good to me. But yet it's a lie. Because we're not walking with God. Can't remember the last time we ever shared the gospel with anybody. Let alone thank God for our own salvation. But everything still looks good. 
Esau was making the declaration. He said, I did it my way, and look what I've got. Look at all I've got. He said, I have enough. And that is the, one of the most dangerous things, listen to me, a backslidden person can ever say. And specifically, a backslidden man. I have enough. Well, I'm good. I don't need the church again. I'm good. It's one of the things that has grieved my heart after COVID. I, man, I think people would be breaking down the doors to get back into churches. It grieved my heart after all that, and even lost people. I mean, good night, look at America. Don't you realize you need something other than what this world can offer you? And for some, it's been a wake-up call, but still, for, for so many, their hearts are still hardened. We need to pray for them. But now Jacob had enough as well. But Jacob had enough because of God's blessings. Esau said he had enough because of worldly accumulation. And by the way, Esau, I believe at this point in his life, was still living off the blessings of other people. It had, he had not yet been exposed to the fruit of his wicked lifestyle lived apart from God. But it was coming. And it will come for all of us if we don't get our life right with God. He knew the terminology of using Christian words to fool himself and others. That he had God's blessings instead of achieving the wealth that he had on his own. If he lived in our day and age, he would have posted something real spiritual on Facebook to fool everybody. How great his walk with God is and how God was blessing him, and it was all just a lie. And let me say this today. We can benefit from somebody's spirituality for a little while. We can benefit, and many of us, I still believe I'm, I'm benefiting from the prayers of my mother. She never told me, but she said, because I, I, I never wanted... I, I didn't want to call you to preach, but she said, I prayed for God to call my son to preach. All those years you were a drunkard, addicted to drugs and alcohol. I, I never told you, but I was on my knees praying, God, save my son and use him. Call him to be a pastor. Thank God for the prayers of a godly mother. I still believe I'm, I'm living off of those. But listen to me, if, if I got a wafer from God, one day my mom's prayers for me that happened back yonder, I, I can't live off of those prayers forever. i got to have my own walk with God. And young people, it's great to come to church when you're four or five years old because mom and dad said you have to come, but when you're 14, 15, you need to come because you want to come. And because you love God. And because you're walking with God. And I don't just come because mom and dad want me to come, and they're praying for me. I want to come because I want to come, because I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to walk with God. I don't want to just live off of what others have done for me. We can live off the obedience of others. But again, that will eventually run out. I'll go quickly. Both men, if you'll notice in this story, they both come in differently. Jacob comes in weak. He's been wrestling with God, and he comes in halting on his thigh. He's a broken man. He comes with domestic problems. He's burdened down with family problems, halting on his thigh. Esau comes in proud as can be. And boy, if we're not careful, we look at that and say, God, are you kidding me? God, look at all I'm doing for you, and this is all I have? They don't even love you, and look how good he has it. But the major difference was where these two men were going. They're at an intersection. But one of them was going the way God wanted him to go. The other was going to damn his family 
and future generations until eventually that whole race would be taken away. The major difference in these two men was the direction they were going. Esau, look, at, look with me in your Bible. If you look at verse 16, it says, So Esau returned that day uh, on his way unto Seir. Esau was heading in the direction of destruction. Seir literally means the place of destruction. It means intense negative emotion and experience of violence. Oh, Esau said, I got enough. Look how blessed I am. But Esau, nobody knew but you. You're heading for destruction, buddy. And you're going to destroy your whole family. But boy, you look good. You're going to look good on the way. But hey, what should it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? Hey, what should it profit me if I gain the world's wealth at the expense of my relationship with God and damn my children's heritage? I, 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 don't, I, I want my children to... And thank God so far they all have, most of three adults, one was still with me. They love the Lord. My three adult children are serving God with their lives. I guess I have to say four now. I have a son-in-law. Still trying to add him in there. But <laughs> thank God my kids are serving the Lord. I'm nothing, but I did want to live in such a way that I at least gave them the opportunity to make that decision for themselves without hindering them. And I see so many of God's people today, because of their walk with God suffering, you're hurting your children's walk with God. And in the Independent Baptist Churches, and what we believe with our standards, and by the way, it, it, they're Christian biblical standards, amen. We believe what we believe because it's in the Bible. If it's a preference, it's a preference, but if it's a scripture, then it's a conviction. But we're throwing out our biblical convictions because of mom and dad that are backsliding. And that's hurting mom and dad. But it, it, it's not really becoming evident in that generation. But it's coming evident in the next generation. And especially becoming evident in the grandchildren's generation. And I realize today, listen to me, if I walk away from God, there might be a chance that my future grandchildren might die and go to hell. Because of my testimony. Because of the direction I'm heading in. And that scares me to death. They're at an intersection. And I wonder today if anybody's here, you're at an intersection. And nobody knows it but you and God. Because everything still looks good. But men, maybe you're not walking with God anymore like you used to. Maybe your prayer life has fallen by the wayside. Oh, I used to. Well, I remember back in 1932 that I won that little lady Christ on the corner. Praise the Lord. That's been a long time, though. Can you at least have some stories in this decade? But I have enough. I have enough. Jacob's journey, look at verse 17 and 18. Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a house that Succoth means a booth or a dwelling. So we see Esau in verse 16, he's going to destruction, a place of violence. Jacob says, I'm going to a place where I'm going to be able to dwell. Slow down. Establish my family. A, a, a place, if you will, of peace. Because look at verse 18. And Jacob came to Shalem, a, a city of Shechem. Shalem means peace. Do you see the different directions? They're, they're both right now at, at an intersection. They're both prosperous. They're both very wealthy men. They're both saying the same thing. God's blessed me. I have enough. Brother, do you have enough? I have enough too but they're going different directions. 
One man's going to settle down and have peace. If you go down to verse 20, and erected there Jacob an altar and called it LLO, Hey Israel. It means the, the mighty God, the mighty God of Israel. That was the direction that Jacob was heading. Future generations were cursed under Esau. Future generations were blessed under Jacob. Are you at an intersection this morning? Esau's decision was for the world, the flesh, and the devil. He had a form of God, but he denied the power thereof. Jacob's direction again was towards the mighty God of Israel. That's where I'm going. Hey, man, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Jacob, or Esau, brother, brother, I might not even look as prosperous as you are, but I'll tell you what, I'm going on the right path. And I'll take that over the wealth of the world any day. I say these few things and I'm done today. Please, I beg of you, for the sake of your own family, for the sake of America, are you at an intersection? Young people, are you at an intersection? Are you riding off a of mom and dad's spirituality? Your pastor's spirituality, your pastor's wife's spirituality, this great church's spirituality? You have no walk of God your own? I said this as long as I've been saved. If you can read, you ought to be able to read the Bible. You ought to be reading the Bible. Amen. Are you at an intersection, sir? You used to go soul winning. You don't anymore. She's got a nice bass boat. Nothing wrong with a bass boat. I'd like to go out with you if you invite me. But if you got one at the expense of walking with God, there's something very wrong with it. Well, you know, on Sunday, I worship God out on the boat. Yeah, right. You can worship Him out there, by the way. But you need to be in church on Sunday. Amen. Are you at an intersection where you used to walk with God? I know you're here. Thank God for you, by the way. God bless you. I know you love God enough to be here. I'm preaching to myself today. Because I always want to look at my life and say, see, God, am I where I should be? Am I where I used to be? When I really loved you and really was walking with you and was really right with you? That's something we ought to do on a daily. I don't beat myself up, but I do want to analyze myself and make sure I'm what God wants me to be. And I'm not ever going to arrive. But are you at an intersection? And if so, what direction are you heading? Do you have people fooled? It won't last. It won't last. These things I'm done this morning. Please do not, for sake of a better word, I just say mess up your children's heritage because of your direction. I don't have any grandchildren yet. I just had my first daughter married a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I guess now. Hopefully the grandchildren are coming. Thank God, by the way, she did it right. Amen. I'll wait for that. Amen. But uh, I want my grandchildren to grow up to love the Lord and get saved. I don't want to have a bunch of little brats come over to my house, little lost brats. 
My wife said, are we going to spoil them if they're bad? No, we're going to discipline them if they're bad. I don't, want, I don't care who they are. Someone has said, if you raise your children, you can spoil your grandchildren. If you spoil your children, you've got to raise your grandchildren. Amen. But man, I want my grandchildren, my future grandchildren, to grow up and get saved. And I realize what I do with my Christianity and my testimony will have a lot to do with that. And I don't want to mess with them in their lives. I don't want to damn my, children, my grandchildren to hell because of their grandpa's lifestyle. Boy, we still look good, but your granddad doesn't walk with God anymore. He's a sham. We learn in the story that God responds to humility and weakness, not pride and worldliness. And I just asked you real quickly this morning, how's your walk with God today? Let's make sure that we're not living in a cost-less Christianity. By that, I mean we're living off of what others have paid for while we just go through the, notion, the, the motions. It's very easy even to come to a great church like this, the great history of this church, and kind of take for granted all that have come before. I see a lot of gray heads here today. I'm one of those, amen. But some of you have probably been here for many years and decades, and you've paid a great price for the doors to be open this morning. Thank God for you. But it's easier for those of us that have come after that to just kind of take everything for granted. May we never do that. When we look at America, with this great country and the, 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 the land of the free, what, because of the brave, yeah. Because some have said, I love this land enough. I, I think of my, my grandfather's flag is back there, and I, I'm just about done, Pastor. My grandfather's flag, I, it's his coffin flag. I got to preach his funeral just a few months ago before we left for Florida, and I said... My grandfather is 96 years old. I said, Grandpa, you've come to my church off and on. You've gone to funerals. I preach that, but you've never responded to the gospel. I said, Grandpa, you're 96. We're heading out of state. I hope we get to see you again, but I just don't know if we'll ever get to see you again. Grandpa, do you, would you like to settle that you're going to go to heaven? He said, let's get it settled. 96-year-old man, World War II veteran. He was a military policeman in, in uh, the Army. He was stationed in, in France at one of his... Uh, uh, tours of duty in the war, and he, he was guarding generals in a big tent city. Eisenhower was in one of the tents. My grandfather was outside of uh, Eisenhower's tent to come on guard duty to guard Eisenhower. Uh, the soldier that was on duty for my grandfather, instead of handing him the machine gun, throws it to my grandpa. It's loaded, off safety. My grandfather catches it. It goes off. True story. And uh, the machine gun goes off, and those rounds from that machine gun go right through all those tents, not inside, but through the, the gap between the tents, right next to General Eisenhower's tent. Well, he came out, my grandfather said, my grandfather used the actual words, but he was cussing up a storm and screaming. My grandfather said, oh, man, I'm dead. I almost shot Eisenhower. <laughs> and uh, the whole story got explained. He didn't get in trouble. The other guy did. But we bring that flag to every church, and it reminds me, my grandfather loved America enough to put his life on the line for it. And he was a lost man. And if he would have died, he would have went to hell. But he loved America enough to do that. And how can we as Christians let this country go to hell and not love it enough to give our lives for it? At least try to reach some people for Christ. 
I think of those young men, 17, 18 years old, that some 16 lied about their age and got off those boats on D-Day and died on the shore, thousands of them, because they believed in this great nation. Many of those boys lost. And I thought, God, how can a lost person love their country more than a saved person who loves their country? They're willing to give more than I am as a child of God for the very nation that God's allowed us this great blessing to live in. Woe be unto me. How's your walk with God? And woe if we live in such a way that we are reaping the benefits that others have paid for while we do little to nothing but enjoy them. Their prayer, their sacrifice, the person that led us to Christ, but we don't tell anybody else. And can I say, if you are prosperous, prosperous, is it because of God's blessings or simply because of the world's accumulation? Nothing wrong with having good stuff. I don't think God's people, we don't need to, you know, Billy Sunday used to say, you don't have to look like you fell off the back of a hearse to be a good Christian, amen? Uh, Nothing wrong with having nice things, but if you get nice things because of your attachment to the world over God, that is wrong. Can I say lastly, if you do give to God's work financially, is it a supplement for not giving yourselves personally? Boy, I, I'm, a, I'm a former pastor, so thank God for everybody that would give. And I'll tell you what, the Lord loveth a cheerful giver, but he'll take a tithe from any grouch, amen? <laughs> Tithing's not giving. You owe it. Got quiet. <laughs> Offerings are giving. You should be happy to give an offering. I don't care how mad you are, you still got to write the ch- check and pay the tithe. I paid PG&E in California my whole life. Never smiled about it. But I owed it, so I had to write the check out. I love to give to God's work, though. But you know, sometimes, and I know a few Christians like this today, and they're, they're good people. They're, they're, they're salt of America, if you will. They're good conservatives. And they got a Trump flag in their yard. And if you do, God bless you. But they used to go to church, and they don't go anymore. They used to walk with God and they don't walk with God anymore. And they used to tithe and give to their local church and they don't do that anymore. And they used to give to missions and they don't do that anymore. They still got a nice house and they got a nice truck and they got boats. And that boy, I get their text and boy, they sound good. But guess what? Their children don't go to church anymore either. And now they do have grandchildren. And their grandchildren have never even stepped inside a church, let alone ever heard the gospel. Unless God intervenes, those little kids are going to die, grow up and die and go to hell. And it's not worth it. It's not worth it. These two men at an intersection going in different directions. One man that blessed his family for generations, one that damned his family for generations. And they both look the same, but God knew. God knew. You're good people today. Can I encourage you? If you're at that intersection, 
And maybe you say, well, well, I'm not going down the wicked path, but maybe you've just gotten away from some things that you should be getting back to. Could you start there? Oh, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, Pastor, that we need, to get, we, we need to get back to soul winning again. People are starving. California, COVID shut down our bus ministries. I understand that did for us. And the Sunday schools and all that. Thank God, VBS 17 saved. Praise the Lord. Oh, we need to reach the kids of America again. It's been a year, most of those kids have been out of church. We need to reach them again. I still believe in America. I hope you too uh, do as well. Let's make sure we're what God wants us to be. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we love you today. You're great. You're a wonderful God. Thank you for God's people. Thank you for God's house. Lord, thank you for this great church. Oh, God, today I know I'm nothing. God, I'm so convicted to even bring a message like this because of all my faults and failures. But, oh, dear God, work in my heart today. God, reveal in me if there be any wicked way. And God, help me to get right with you. Help me to do my part to reach this great nation for Christ. This pastor so wonderfully taught us this morning that 75% of the Great Commission is right here on our own soil. It's right here in our own city and the cities around us and the region in which we live. And oh, dear God, help us, I pray, to do our part to reach our Jerusalem for Christ. Can I encourage you today, young person, sir, ma'am, if you've gotten away from the Lord in any part of your life, you're at that intersection and again, maybe you're not heading for destruction yet. Maybe you never even hope or, or dream that. That's not your goal. I know that. But maybe you've gotten away from some things. We had some very legitimate excuses. COVID and, you know, the governor said we can't do it. But hey, those things are lifted. It's time to get back to those things again. Let us get back to the things of God. And by the way, Governor Newsom never said we couldn't read our Bibles. Governor Newsom never said we... we we couldn't witness to somebody. And it's time to listen to God again. Do what God wants us to do instead of tyrannical leaders. And just make sure today we are what God would have us to be. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here this morning, you're not even sure you're saved. Not even sure if you died, you go to heaven. That's where you need to start. That foundation, having Christ in your life as your personal Savior. God, do what I did many years ago. Realize you're a sinner. All of sin, we deserve hell. There's a heaven. God loves you today. He loves you so much, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place. And if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus, He'll save you, take you to heaven when you die. That's all you have to do this morning. Father, I pray that you would bless the invitation for Jesus' sake. I pray, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.